You know, I know that we've been having a, a lot of guest speakers coming in through Emmaus. Has that blessed you guys a lot? But I'm happy to finally preach because it's been a minute, huh? It's been a minute. Um, so I want you guys to open up your Bibles. I'm going to take you guys to Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to read a pretty well-known passage together. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to be reading from verses 21 all the way to 35. All right, so I'm going to take a verse. I'm reading from the ESV, but, you know, whatever you guys have, it's all good. I'll take a verse. Y'all can take a verse, and we'll just go back and forth. You guys with me? All right, here we go. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And since he could not pay... His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with me, have patience with me, and I will pay you. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had been taken place. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody owed you money before? Oh, some of y'all like somebody in this room owes me money right now. Have you guys ever had someone take money? Well, you've given it out of your pure generosity and loving heart. You let them borrow money and they don't pay you back. Is that a good feeling? Mm-mm-mm. You know, I have the type of personality where I, you know, lend people things and I completely forget about it. You know, like I just don't know where half my stuff is. And so when I look for that shirt or when I look for that book, like I have no idea where it went. But when it comes to money... Somehow my brain becomes very sharp and clever. So if you got my money, I know you do. And you owe me. It's kind of like that mentality. There's something about messing with people's money that get them tight. You know what I mean? You know, my husband, he's like, he's like the master at remembering how much people owe him. Like, I kid you not, we're married, all right? Just to make that clear, my husband and I have been married for four years. But to this day, he comes up to me and is like, baby, you owe me $20. <laughs> what? Imanon, for what? That time you wanted to buy that thing and that thing like 30 days ago? I'm like, what? Like, we're married. 
Remember when you used to buy me stuff for free? And I didn't have to pay you back? He's like, yeah, well, we're married now. I got you, so give me my money. Like, he's like, no joke. And I think because my husband's been robbed so many times. I mean, he grew up in Philly. So in Philly, DA knows if someone says, can I borrow a dollar? It basically means give me all the money you have in your wallet, and you're not getting that back. And give me that watch and that jacket while you're at it. So can I borrow a dollar in Philly? Be careful, all right? But it's this idea of when you give something to somebody, you, you just feel like they owe you back. Don't you feel like that? It's this you owe me mentality. Now, how would you feel if you not just lended, but you just gave out of your pure generosity? I just gave Cynthia $100 because I just wanted to bless her. $100. And she sees Tanbi over here, and Tanbi needs, like, a dollar to eat. You know what I mean? Like, she's hungry. And Cynthia just looks at her, and, oh, I'm sorry that you're hungry. I'll pray for you. You know what I mean? And I'm looking at her, and I know that she's got that $100 in her pocket. I just gave it to her. And she's holding that money from someone else. Would that make you feel good? You know, it's funny. When we talk about forgiveness... Out of all of the examples that Jesus could give, he talked about money. When it was about forgive, here comes Peter. And I love Peter because Peter is always trying to find the line and how far he can go. You know, like, okay, God, I get we have to forgive. But how many times? Like, if this person does this to me seven times, do I still have to forgive him the eighth? You know, Peter's always, like, pushing the boundary. I feel like I am Peter. And so here's Peter trying to figure out, like, how far. You know, okay, I get you can't have sex outside of marriage, but... How far can I go? You know, some of y'all be asking that question to your small group leader. We're shaking our heads. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Conviction. But here comes Peter trying to find the absolute guidelines. Why, why you got to call people out like that, DA? Zex just turning all red. It's all good. We know that he's playing. like Dexter's going to have to forgive David after this. <laughs> forgive him, Dexter, for his foolish ways. <laughs> you know, here comes Peter, and he's trying to talk about how far can I go before I get in trouble with you. You guys know what that's like? How far can I do this? How much can I do this before, God, you get angry with me? I mean, I can't get drunk, but I can drink a little bit, right? Jesus, I mean, you drank, right? So if I take a couple of shots, but, you know, I got high tolerance, Lord. I got high tolerance. You know I got that high tolerance. So if I take a couple of shots with my friends, like, I'll be straight. I'm not going to be drunk. That's all right. Right, God? Here's Peter having this conversation with Jesus, just like, you know. You ever, do you ever watch a little kid kind of testing the waters, like putting their foot in? Or, like, you just told them not to do something, and they... Uh, I was just um, babysitting this uh, little girl, Lathia. She's three years old. And I specifically told that girl, you better not eat no, no cookies because she had dinner coming up. But she was staring at this box of cookies, and, you know, she was like, I am them cookies. Like, she really wanted them. And I was like, Alethea, no cookies until after dinner, okay? And she's just like, <laughs> you know, like, looking right at me. 
Like, what you gonna do? <laughs> what you gonna do? Like, how far can I go before you do something? And here's Peter testing the waters, and Jesus just shuts him down. And he's like, all right, Peter, let me tell you a story because you asked that dumb question. Now you're going to get a lecture. And out of all the illustrations of forgiveness, Jesus decides, you know what? I'm going to give an illustration about money and about debt. And here's this king, right, who has a servant who owes him. You see, 10,000, I think it's 10,000 talents, which basically equates to more than a lifetime's worth of money. He owes, this guy owes this king something that he could never pay back. That's the basic gist of it. Even if this man, his wife, and his children were to go to prison and work for the money, because that's what the king initially intended to happen, even if that man worked his butt off for years and years and years and years until he was old and gray, his family and his children, it would still have been impossible for him to pay back everything that he owed the king. It was an impossible debt to pay back. So here's a servant. He gets down on his knees, and he's like, man, have mercy on me. And the king in his good grace is like, you know what? All right. I'm going to pardon you for all of your debt. Now, this homeboy that just got pardoned goes out, and he finds someone else. He goes and finds Jensen, and Jensen owes him like a day's worth of money. And he grabs him and is like, where's my money at? Where's my money? (laughs) where's my money at? And Jensen gets on his knees and begs him, please have patience with me. Have patience with me. And the guy's like, nah, you're done. And throws that man into a prison. Now the servants of the king sees this whole thing. It's like, that is jacked up. Watches the whole thing. Like what did the king not do? What? 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 Went back to the king told them what he saw, the king heard what happened and got furious. Furious and decides, okay, you want to play that game? Then back to the jail for you. He talks about money. And the reason why Jesus, out of all of the illustrations, talks about money is because when it comes to forgiveness, we feel like people owe us something. Let me give you an example. That same little girl, Alethea, she was chilling on my shoulders. You know when little babies, like, get on your shoulders? Like, I don't know why. She thought, not like my neck's not strong. And so I was sitting down. She got on my shoulders. And I kind of was getting a little bit off balance. And she was sucking on a lollipop. And my husband took pictures of it. If you go on my Facebook, you can see. One picture, she's, like, smiling with the lollipop in her hand. And the next picture, she's, like, with her lips pouting. Now, basically, what the pictures don't tell is I kind of, like, repositioned her, and her lollipop fell. She was pissed. <laughs> Three years old, man. She got off my neck and looked at me like, you owe me a lollipop. Like, my mom's bought that for me, and you owe me a lollipop. Like, she, three years old, she loved me, but she didn't love me in that moment. But all she could do, and it was, like, so sad because that lollipop fell and, the, you know, it cracked. You know when a lollipop, it cracked into pieces? And she's just staring at it, like, looking at me. You owe me that lollipop. Sometimes when we feel like somebody did something to us, they owe us something. It may be your time. You owe me my childhood. You owe me two years of my life where you have basically tormented me. How about this? You owe me my virginity. 
Some of you are like, what? You know, I lost my virginity when I was a junior in high school, going up to senior year. But the way that I lost my virginity was it wasn't consensual. Long story short, I put myself in a pretty stupid situation. This guy was with me. We were hooking up. But at least I had my virginity left. That was my mindset at the time. I was a young girl hooking up with guys. Foolish. But at least I had my virginity. That I could give to my husband one day. And here comes this guy. And he asks me, you know what? I want to go all the way. And I look at him and I say, no. He's like, all right. I said, no, absolutely not. Not that. And so we continue hooking up. And he goes, again, I want to go all the way. And I say, no, I don't want to. And a couple of minutes later, without my permission, I lost my virginity. So for a long time, I looked at that guy. And every time I saw him, the thought that I would think is, you owe me my virginity punk. Now I used other words back then, but for your sake, I'm going to fill in with that word right there. But he owed me that. And you know, what's funny. He owed me something he could never give me back. You want to talk about an impossible debt? I wanted him to give me back something that he took from me, but as much as he could try, even if he felt bad, he wouldn't be able to give that back to me. So what I decided to do was put that homeboy in a prison and it might not have been a physical prison, but it was a mental prison. And what I mean by that is in my mind, I locked him up as someone who took my virginity away from me and I would forever remember him and forever take the key, put it around my neck, hold him to that debt forever until he paid me back, which would be what? Never. Now, what's funny about that story is later on, I realized that I was the one in prison. Just like this story here, it was me. I was tormented by the idea of what this guy has done. See, he was the first of three situations where I had non-consensual sex. I know I'm being raw here, but I want you guys to just stay with me. Two other times... One time, a guy came, slept over, I woke up, my pants were down, and he was having sex with me. That's how I woke up. We started in two completely separate beds, and when I woke up, he's on top of me. This was a friend. In fact, a good friend. Can you imagine what I must have felt like in that moment? You see, to me, to forgive him means what you did was okay. If I forgive you, and if I let what you did to me go, what I'm saying is, it was okay that you did that to me. And it wasn't okay, so we're done. Not only are we done, but I'm going to lock you up in my mind. Not only am I going to lock you up in my mind, but every single person, every single guy that I see, I refuse to trust because you ruined that for me. Thank you, friend. For what you did, because now I can never have a healthy relationship with another guy. I locked him up. And I was the one that was getting punished. You see, forgiveness is like debt. When you think about the things that people have done to you, 
Oftentimes, the way that you see it is that person owes me. It may not be a monetary amount. They may have not taken your virginity, but they took something from you, whether it was your pride, whether it was your respect, whether it was your trust, whether it was your love, whatever it was, you feel like something was taken from you or your family or something from your beloved ones. You know, one of the things that I realized after getting married, because I understood the principle of forgiveness, how crucial it was. But after I got married and I saw people do things to my husband, Oh, that's when the beast in me started roaring. Let me tell you, it's one thing to do something to me, but if you're going to mess with my husband, we're going to have problems. When people started to slander him, when people started to backstab him, the things that he went through, the church doesn't even know. But I saw privately what he had to endure. And the people that did those things, every time I looked at them, my blood boiled. You know what that feeling's like? When you just see somebody and it's just like, like, because they're in the room, you know, you got to leave the room. Like the moment they walk in, you're just like, all right. Or you find out that they're going to be at that birthday party or they're going to go to that thing. And you're like, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pass. I don't need to go to that because you know, that person's going to be there. And I'm a pastor. You know what I mean? Like, here I am. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be holy, but I'm looking at somebody and I just want to. Dexter. (laughs) And not only do I want to hurt them, but I got to show them love. What? Love your enemies. What God were you smoking when you wrote the Bible? What were you thinking when you wrote that part? Love your enemies. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. If you knew what my enemies did to me, you wouldn't require that. Man. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's not just an experience of what happened to you, but some of you guys think about what happened to your parents or that person that backstabbed your best friend or that person that that did something to your mom or your dad. And when you think about it, it just makes your blood boil. You know, for some of my friends, it wasn't just one person. It was like a people group. You know, I had girls that like wouldn't talk to men, period. So every guy was a bad guy, you know? I used to be like that too for like a second. (laughs) You know, y'all know boys were my downfall. So I'm a new creation though. Like, I hate you. Like, what's up? I hate you. (laughs) But here I am thinking I'm protecting myself. Now this is important. I'm protecting myself because if I keep you locked in, I know for the future who to avoid. This is protection. This is wisdom. This is smart. This is good. This is what's supposed to happen. I have solely convinced myself that these little itty bitty prisons that I've created for people that have wronged me was good for me. I was so convinced. Another person that was in a prison, my mom. You guys heard a little bit about this, but my mom drove me absolutely insane, especially when I was in high school. She was going through menopause. I was going through adolescence. And, you know, my mom was suffering from levels of depression during her menopause. Like, psychologically, she was having a tough time. 
And me, I was just, I was just crazy, period. So you put that together, it was like just a really bad mix. And so I walked around. Out of all the people who made my blood boil, there's two people. One is my mom. The other is, I'm going to mention that afterwards. But my mom just like, and you know moms, you know moms. You know moms. They just know what to push. You know, they just know what to say to just make, like my mom, like, you know, we'd be in the car, like moving car. And I'd want to like pop open the door and just roll out on the highway. Cause I'd rather roll out on the highway than sit next to her and listen to the things that she would say. Cause it just, and, and if someone else listened to it, it'd be like, Oh, your mom loves you. It's not that big of a deal. But for me, it was like a, just like a, like a button. And she knew where that button was. And every day it was like, dun, 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 dun. you know, like I, I'm a little sister. I have an older brother. He's five years older. And I used to like, he'd be doing homework and I'd go up to him. I'd be like, Opa, like what? Like, Does this annoy you? Does this annoy you? Does this bother you? Does this bother you? And he just, I could just see the veins, you know, like when guys get upset, like the veins, are and so he had like these like veins around his neck and I could tell he's like trying to chum up because if he lashed out, he would get in trouble. You know what I mean? Cause I just cried. Like, Opa. Opa hit me. And my dad would be like, what? It's your baby sister. And I just sit there like cracking up. That's why whenever I got hit, my brother would just be like, sucker. Cause I got in trouble so many times. So I just be like, Opa, does this annoy you? Does this annoy you? Does you know? And I just do it, but one, it, it wouldn't take long, y'all. It wouldn't take long. Like five, you know, seconds later, he'd be like, get off me. And he'd like pick me up and just like chuck me across the room. Cause I was little. So I'm, boom. And I just like fly. And then of course I cry. And then my dad would come and then he would hold me. And as he holds me, I'm just looking at my brother like, Sucker. I should ask my brother for forgiveness now that I'm talking about it. I feel like I should call him after that, like, oh, but remember those times? You know, but certain people can push certain buttons. <laughs> the funny thing is we're called to be unoffendable. Meaning, when we talk about alive like Christ, just like we sang, to rise with him, you can't rise with Christ until you first die with him. You know, you can't take, you can't skip that step. People are like, yeah, I'm going to be like Christ. Yeah, I'm going to be, you know, yeah, I'm going to evangelize. Yeah, I'm going to do, yeah, I'm going to. Okay, that's awesome. But first you got to die. And if you're dead, even if people poke you, it won't faze you. Problem is we're too alive sometimes. <laughs> And here I was poking here. My mom was poking the out of me. And so I locked her up in a prison and my mom had one of the most like high security prisons. You know, I just watched 007. Anybody watch Skyfall? It's a good movie. Actually, you know, I know I take that back. I didn't really like it. Um, it was my first James Bond movie and I just wasn't impressed. Okay. What you want to talk about later? We can talk about later. Right. I wasn't that impressed. I saw Argo the other day that I was impressed with. Thank you. Canada, Canada. God bless you. Um, but in 007, there's like a high security prison, like high security where even the air pressure is like modified, you know what I mean? Monitored. And like, it's just like insane prison. That's like the kind of, you know, other people were in those regular prisons, you know, you just need a key. But my mom, she was like in high security. Like nobody could get through that. There'd be no way she could leave that. I was so angry at her.
so angry. I was so convinced that she hated me. So convinced. You know, another person that was in high, 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 high security prison was an ex-boyfriend of mine. This is a guy that I met when I was a freshman in college. Now, some of you guys already know this, but I went into university with a boyfriend. In fact, he went to my university because of me. So he actually gotten into a better school and was like, you know what? I don't want to leave you, so we're going to go to school together. And I was like, oh, baby, you're so cute. And he came with me to college, but like a month in, I was like, yeah, I'm not interested in you anymore. There's too many guys here in college and you holding me back. So I broke up with him and he was pissed. You can imagine. Anyway, but that's another story. But after I broke up with him, I ended up falling for another guy and uh, he was like a drug dealer. But you know, when I say drug dealer, he wasn't like a really good drug dealer because the best drug dealers, and I don't know why I'm giving you tips on this, but the best drug dealers are dealers who don't do drugs. That's the best drug dealer. Okay. Because they don't, you, the reason being is he was a bad drug dealer because the drugs that he bought to sell, he usually bought himself. Does that make sense? Like if you give this amount of, you know, whatever it was, ecstasy or marijuana, like he'd be looking at it like, okay, I should sell this. But he basically would just buy it for himself. And so he was like the worst kind of drug dealer. Like it never made money. And um, obviously something about that just attracted me, you know? Now I'm playing. I don't know why I like the guy. Um, he was actually a Korean native. He came, he immigrated to the States when he was about 13. And so he was very Koreanized, which is typically not my style. Um, I always liked, actually, no, I didn't have a style. I just, if you were a boy, I probably liked you. And so, you know, here's this guy and he's a Korean, Korean native. And, you know, we ended up getting into this relationship and he introduced me to drugs and, you know, I started doing drugs and that really uh, kind of clouded my ability to think clearly when it came to our relationship. Um, but I was always frank with him, meaning he knew about my past. So even before I met him, he knew that I had been with a lot of guys. I dated a lot of guys. You know, one of uh, his friends who was, you know, uh, a girl that he had been with called him when he, when she found out that he was dating me, called him and was like, Opa, you know, cause he's Korean. You know, I never called him Opa though. I only called my Opa Opa period. Anyway, so here she's like, Oppa. Oppa. Tirasso. Like I heard, I heard about you and Aaron, but you need to know about her. And he was like, what do I need to know about her? You need to know that she's like a big player. And that she's like been with all these guys and she's going to break your heart and you blah, 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 blah. And she'd be talking smack about me. I remember seeing her after that conversation. Like, anyway, she ran out the door, but anyway, so <laughs> here she is. And so he, he knew that I had this reputation. So what ended up happening was the start of a very abusive relationship. And what I mean by that is when you, you know, start doing drugs, it kind of numbs you in the sense where when you 
have a high, you have a high, but when you have a low, you have a low. And during our lows, he used to bring up all of the past because he knew some of the people that I had been with. He knew like my past boyfriends. And so when it was, when we were crashing on something, um, whether it was ecstasy or even with, I mean, not really with weed, but when we were crashing on kind of high intense drugs like Coke or whatever, you know, he would begin to call me names like slut or whore to my face. And, you know, this is what you are. You know, why are you such a, or don't talk to me, you. Or get out of my face. And if you talk to any sane person, what would you say to a friend who was going through something like that? Yeah. What are you doing with him? But I was so intertwined with this guy. Let me tell you, I was so involved. I was so connected. I was so obsessed. I was so, you know, tied to this guy that I could not hear anything that was clear, anything that was logical, anything that was sane. I was so connected and tied to him that even though I knew I shouldn't be called those names, I could not leave him. And so what I would do in retaliation was I would verbally abuse him back. So in response, when he said you, I said, well, you are a, and he said you, and I said you, and he said you, and I was like you, and it just went on and on and on and on and on and on. That was the relationship we had. So I wasn't just, oh, poor little abused victim. Like I was in the game. I was in the ring with him as well. So when we fought, we fought. It was an abusive relationship on all kinds of levels. He was highly manipulative and seriously overprotective. Meaning if I looked at another guy, he would come in and just cause all kinds of drama. You know what I mean? Why are you looking at him? Why are you looking at my girl? Why are you looking at her? That's my girl. And I'm just like, it's oh, calm down. That's my cousin. Like we're family. Chill out. Like it was constant drama. But for some reason, Korean dramas teach you that the more dramatic your relationship is, the more in love you are with one another, you know? I know, man. It's just like nonsense. But anyway. So here we have this terrible relationship. And what happened was um, he ended up getting addicted to gambling. And he got addicted to gambling so severely that this is when Texas Hold'em uh, was like, I just started getting popular. So even I, we'd go to casinos, we'd play Hold'em, or we'd play house games, you know, everybody pay, kind of cash in. And, you know, we I do this because it's how you, anyway, forget it. Um, so I would be you know, in the game with him. But for me, it was just more like I had fun. Like sometimes I get into it, but not really. But for him, it was like serious. And it was serious because he started losing serious money. And the moment any gambler loses serious money, it becomes a cycle of I have to get that money back. And the more you want to get that money back, the more money you end up losing. The more money you end up losing, the more money you got to get back. And so he started making just trips started missing classes and just going to the casino that was about a couple of hours away. I think it was like two hours just making trips. He started getting so into it that he started stealing credit cards, you know, of people that he knew. So-called friends because he needed online gambling. It got so bad, like so, so bad. So, you know, I broke up with him um, because I couldn't take it anymore. But long story short, 
um, while we were broken up, my best friend died. And I got a phone call saying that she hit a tree. Um, It was a rainy night, and uh, she wasn't wearing her seatbelt. And she hit a tree, and instantly on impact, she passed away. Uh, I was 21 at the time. So, as it, and this is a girl that was my best friend since I was about seven years old. So when I say best friend, I'm not talking about like Paris Hilton and what's her face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or I'm not talking about like, I'm not talking about we shopped together or we did drugs together. I'm talking about we did life together. You know, I'm talking about the one person that knew, you know, the things that I had gone through since I was only so big. This was my best friend. She died. So in that moment, in that tragedy, I was actually trying to give my life back to the Lord. But when I got that phone call and I found out that she died, I could not handle it. Like I physically, mentally, spiritually had a nervous breakdown. And the only thing that I could think of was was I have to call my boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, because I leaned on him so much for the previous three years. So I pick up the phone. I call him sobbing. You know, Diana just died. He said, where are you? I'm going to pick you up. He's the one that drove me back to um, my home. I gave my first eulogy. I saw my best friend in an open casket. I don't know why. Anyway, and it was traumatizing, to say the least. I don't know if you guys know this, but when people die, their face doesn't look the same. So from the side, I was looking at her, and it looked like my best friend. But when I walked up, To her, her face was double the size because she had been bloated. And when I, I, I almost screamed because I, it was like, I couldn't handle that. Um, and so I got pretty much started hanging out with my ex-boyfriend again. But during that time, what I found out was he was cheating on me with another girl. Now, when I found this out, I confronted him. I had a hot cup of tea, you know? And um, I'd walked up to him, and I was like, I, I, I didn't have the tea to do anything. I was just sipping on tea. Yeah. <laughs> People are like, dang, P.E., you crazy. I, I was a little bit, but, you know, I had a cup of tea, um, and because I, I saw him walking on campus, and I was like, And I just, like, ran to him, and I confronted him. I was like, is it true? He's like, what? What's going on? What's going on? Like, he, eyes, you know, going back and forth, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Is it true? Are you cheating on me, or did you cheat on me? And I am shaking, furious. This is a guy I gave three years of my life to. Three years. We were on the fourth year of being together. And he's like, You know, when she came, and he said another girl's name. See, I knew this name, and he said another name. And when he said the other name, I saw the tea in my hand, and I saw his face, and I went, boom! And he was all like, ah! And I said, you! And then I ran. I later found out that there were about two to three other girls. Meaning even from the first month we dated, back when I was a freshman, he was with other girls. 
This is the guy that would yell at like my cousin for looking at me. He was the one that was actually cheating on me. Now you want to talk about blood boil? Let me talk about blood boiling. I hated this guy with such a passion, with such a vengeance, with such a, but at the same time, I was so tied to him that it was this terrible, I hate you, I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you, I love you, terrible, terrible, terrible time for me. Terrible time for me. And he was in such an insane prison. And can I tell you, I tried putting him in the prison, but just like this passage said, I was tormented. I was tortured. My mind was consumed with everything that he did to me. Consumed. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I couldn't think. I couldn't talk to people. I couldn't without just being so angry at what had happened. I had put him in a prison, but by default, I myself was in a prison. And if you look at the end of the scripture, it's not just being in a prison, but in a prison with tormentors. I was tortured, tortured. That relationship was so destructive. It was a series of him threatening to kill himself if I didn't see him. To me, meet, having to meet him 3 o'clock in the morning because he's honking outside my house. This is where my parents live, honking outside. To him calling me about 30 times a day to me in my dorm room sitting on the computer and I look out the window and his face is in the window. Like, you want to talk about all kinds of crazy? I can talk about me and my ex-boyfriend. Like, you name it, it was an issue. It was a problem. It got so bad. He grabbed me one, like, seriously, one time he just like, wouldn't because I was trying to walk out on him yet again, and he grabbed me, and I just hit him right in the face. Just punched him. Like, I just, everything inside of me. And like I said, I was never a hitter. I'm always a talker, you know? Like, the one just always starting drama, but, like, I could never follow through. Because, I mean, look at me. I'm just like, what am I going to do? But I learned that day I could hit, and I can hit hard. Especially if you're angry, it's like you can lift up cars. You ever see people with adrenaline? All of a sudden, it's like mom, like yeah, like it was. That was like me that day. Like I just hit him, and anyway, so here, here I had this insane amount of baggage. But who was the one that was tortured? Who? It was me. And even after he came out of my life, and that took such a long time, you guys. Even when I came to Korea, I'd have dreams of him. Dreams. He tried to get in touch with me. When he found out that I was getting married. You know what I mean? Like, it was just crazy. And... When you want to talk about debt, this passage so perfectly illustrates what I was feeling with this guy. He ruined my college years. Ruined it for me. That's the way I thought. He's the one that introduced me to drugs. He was the one that introduced me to stealing on another level. I had already been stealing, but I, I wasn't, like, robbing people until I met him. You know, he was the one that introduced me to gambling. He was the one that introduced me to clubbing lifestyle. Like, I used to be a hardcore clubber. Um, he used to, and what I mean by clubbing is not just going to club and dance. Like, when I did, when I went to the club, I did hardcore drugs. And so, 
he opened this door. And so my whole idea was it's all your fault. All of it is your fault. So therefore you owe me four years of my life. You, 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 you took it. You stole it. You ruined it. You're the one. It's all you. Every time I thought about him, every time he tried to get in touch with me, every time I met somebody that knew him, everybody, every time I met someone that had the same name as him, you know what I mean? Immediately he would come to my mind and I would just cringe. Now you may not have experienced that level of hate for somebody. I don't know what you guys have been through, but I know what hate is. I know what anger is. I know what rage is. I had rage. So here's this guy that owes me all this debt. But when I came to Korea, I came tormented. I was so locked up in my own prison. See, when you forgive or when you choose not to forgive, you're putting yourself in a prison. What I want to tell you, what you need to know is whether it's your mom, whether it's your dad, whether it's your ex-boyfriend, whether it's your ex-girlfriend, whether it's your ex-friend, whoever it may be that you think has done so much wrong against you, the moment you decide I'm going to hold on to this for the rest of my life, you yourself will be tormented. It is you. As much as you think they're being punished because you're not talking to them. In all honesty, you guys, that's not touching them. It's you. It's you that's consumed. It's you whose time is being wasted. Locking them up in prison and making sure they're in there. You know, the day you forget, oh yeah, by the way, just in, just in case. Let me just check if they're still in the prison of my heart. So what do you do? What do you do? How do you handle that situation? What happens? God says to forgive, but it makes absolutely no sense to forgive. Well, let me tell you something. You want to talk about debt? Let's talk about yours. The only thing that was enabling and empowering to me to forgive somebody of a debt, massive amounts of debt that they owed me was getting a revelation that I had major debt towards God. That when it came down to it, when I look back on my life and the decisions that I made, I understood that God has forgiven me for so much more than what this guy has done to me. You know, some of you guys, you didn't live a life like me. You didn't do drugs. You didn't, you know, do drugs. You didn't do drugs. Uh, you didn't, you know, steal, you didn't lie, you did, I don't know what I did. I did a lot of stuff, right? And so when you look at me, you're like, whoa, Pastor Aaron, that's really intense. But me, no, I went to church every Sunday, you know, but this person did this to me. So it's uneven. What God has to forgive me for is so little compared to what I have to forgive this person for. Do not get it twisted. Let me tell you something. <laughs> it says in the scripture that even when you think a hateful thought towards somebody, you murdered them. So if you are so convinced that your slate is not clean, think again. It says, even if you look at someone of the opposite sex and you have one lustful thought towards them, you've committed adultery. So if you think your slate is clean, think again. 
If you think that God has not forgiven you of a debt that you have never been able to pay, you don't understand what Christ has done for you. It is a debt that not would have taken you a lifetime. It would have been impossible. You could have tried your whole life and it wouldn't have happened. Here's the problem. The problem is you don't want to understand that it's freely received, but you want to work off your debt. Some of you are so guilty about what you've done to other people that you swear that by doing A, B, and C, if I go to Africa and I save a bunch of children, if I go to Cambodia and I save a bunch of children, if I go to the States and I save a bunch of children, then, you know, then God might forgive me. You pay your dues. Then it's like being in the jail and working your debt off. The king didn't do that. When he said, I pardon it, he pardoned everything. The thing about owing people money is, even though you get it for free, somebody paid the price. If I owe you $10 and you decide in your good grace, you know what, P.E., don't even worry about it. I got you. Is that money free or did somebody pay for that $10? Somebody paid. Who paid? You did. The moment you decide to pardon me from a debt, you paid for that debt. When someone owes me $100 and I'm like, you know what? It's all good. You don't have to pay me back. I paid the $100. When the king looked at that servant and understood that there would be no way that servant could ever pay him back, he looked at that servant in, in utter mercy and said, don't worry about it. I'm going to foot the bill. I'm going to foot the bill. I'm going to pay the price. So when Jesus looked at you when he was dying on the cross and understood that he wasn't dying on the cross for just the people of that generation, but for all to come, he understood that he was going to foot the bill. Everything that you and I deserved, all of the debt and the weight and the work and the cost and the pain was on him. So when we decide to withhold forgiveness towards somebody else of what they did to us, you need to understand that that infuriates our king. You may think that God understands where you're coming from. He does. But what he knows more than the pain is he, if you don't choose to forgive people, you're going to suffer. And because he loves us so much, he decided to make a gangster rule in scripture I command you to forgive. It wasn't a choice. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't us lying on a sofa, talking to a therapist and a therapist saying, you know what? It might be a good idea. If you let this go, that'll be $500. No, the moment he said, forgive, he made it a commandment because he knew when you forgave that person, who would be set free? You. You know, a couple of us get infuriated. God, why? How can you expect this from me? But God is saying, no, you don't understand. The more you hold it, the more you're punishing yourself. I'm talking about a clearance of debt. And I'm not talking about something that you led to do because you feel like it. Because if you wait till you feel like forgiving somebody, you will never forgive them. Oh, now I feel remorse and now I feel compassion. So now I can forgive you. No, that's not going to happen. For some it may, but really, realistically, your feelings cannot lead. That whole concept of follow your heart is nonsense. 
It says in Proverbs that your heart is deceitful. It's talking about your feelings, your emotions. When you wait till you see that person and you have good feelings about them, oh, now I'm ready to forgive. You will hold that unforgiveness for years and years and years and years. The thing with forgiveness is you choose to forgive first. Why? Why? Because number one, you've been forgiven of so much. And number two, because God said so. Number three, because if you forgive, you'll be set free. No more will you be tormented. No more will you be imprisoned. And you know what? No more will your relationships be affected by what happened. Some of you guys can't even relate to friendships because what happened to you. You can't relate to a pastor because what another pastor did to you. You can't relate to, you know, anybody that's like a mother figure because of what your mom did to you. Let me tell you something. You can be set free from that, but you got to forgive. The repercussions of unforgiveness is so lethal. It is poisonous to you. Poisonous not only to you, but every relationship that you have in your life. It affects everything. I'm telling you, do it. Not because you feel like it because it's going to set you free. But I don't feel like it. And I forgave yesterday and today I'm still angry. What happens then? <laughs> that happens a lot. I remember when I forgave my mom for the first time, like the next day she said something to me and I was like, yeah, you know, like it was as if I didn't pray that prayer. But the thing about forgiveness being a choice is you keep your feet there. It's like unforgiveness is here. Forgiveness is here. The moment you choose to forgive, you got to stay in forgiveness. That means if that person continues to do something that is harmful or hurtful, you cannot leave this little island. But what we like to do is forgiveness. Just kidding. Forgiveness. No. Forgiveness. I take it back. Forgiveness. And it's like free. Not free. Free. Not free. Free. Not free. Free. Not free. It's time we just stay in free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So therefore, do not, be a, do not be yoked again by slavery. What that scripture is saying, you already forgave that person. So don't be burdened again by retracting that forgiveness. So even if you feel the emotions welling up inside of you and you feel the pain of what they did, you say, God, I feel this pain again, but I'm continuing to stay on my decision. I've forgiven this person. I refuse to let this go. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to commit to this place right here because of what you have done for me. As you stay in that place of forgive, forgiveness, not only are you going to be set free, but you're going to get healed. I came with so many wounds. It affected my relationships. It even affected my relationship with my husband because I was so hurt by this guy. I was so delusioned by my concept of relationship and trust because of what I experienced with this guy that it affected even my relationship with my husband when we were dating. But as I continue to choose forgiveness, all of a sudden I continue to receive healing. The moment you say, I forgive the moment you get healed. Let me tell you how relevant that is. And I know that I'm still talking, but you guys need to stay with me here. There was a woman that was hunchbacked like this. And literally her back was like, she couldn't 
she couldn't straighten out her back. You know, doctors considered it severe scoliosis, um, but that happened at some point in her life. What happened was the moment there was this uh, revival meeting that she, she decided to go to, and it was an altar call for forgiveness. The moment she went up to forgive that person, which was her husband, who had abused her her whole marriage, the moment she went up to forgive her husband, literally her back strained up. See, unforgiveness is so detrimental and destructive. It not only affects your mental and your spiritual, but affects your physical body. You know, when I meet people with certain diseases or sickness, one of the things I talk to them about is, is there anybody you're holding unforgiveness towards? It's such poison. The spirit of it is such poison. The torment of it is so serious that it literally injects itself. It, it contributes so much to how you think that your mind tricks your body into saying that you need to go into emergency mode. And because you're constantly on emergency mode, all of a sudden, all these weird symptoms starts happening. People who struggle with sleeping. People who struggle with eating disorders. So many are tied back to they're holding unforgiveness towards somebody else. I believe that God wants to set you free. And I'm not talking about a temporary freedom. And I'm not talking about something where you decide to do it today, but tomorrow you know you're going to get upset again. I'm talking about a decision, a choice. A choice you refuse to walk out of. You stay put in that decision. It's to forgive. When you choose to forgive somebody, you're not saying what they did was okay. You're not saying that that's allowed. When I, choose to, when, I had, when I chose to forgive those guys that, you know, crossed my physical boundaries, what I, I wasn't saying that's okay for anybody to do. Oh, that's okay. Or I'm not worthy. Or, you know, my body is not, you know, doesn't have value. I wasn't saying any of those things. I was saying, let me write this out for you. This is what you did. It was wrong. Not only was it wrong, but it was evil. But I'm going to decide, I'm going to choose, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to pardon your guilt because I need to be set free. You know, when I made those choices of forgiveness first, so much healing happened in my life, you guys. You can imagine how much healing if I'm talking to you about what happened. You know, who goes around saying, hey, I was raped, really high five. You know, like who does that? Who goes out holding a microphone and talks about things that most people would never want to share with anybody else? Only a person that's healed. Only a person that's set free. Only a person who understands that that doesn't touch me anymore. That hasn't tainted my identity, my worth, my value. But I know that I am so worthy because I'm loved. And I think it's time for you guys to leave your baggages at the cross. It's done. You've been carrying that heavy backpack with you. You've been thinking of that person. You've been imprisoning that person. It's been affecting your relationships with other people. It's been affecting your ability to have proper relationships with the opposite sex. It's been affecting your relationships with your parents. The idea of you becoming a parent is so... You know, you never want to have a kid because the, the, when you think about your own parent, you're so afraid that you'll be like them. God, he wants to just destroy all 
of those things. You can be set free. You can experience full healing. You don't have to live like that anymore. I want you guys to just close your eyes.